Well, welcome to episode 24 of the Rec Poker Podcast. My name is Steve Fredland, and I am delighted to be your host of the program. Well, we are on the eve of All In For Africa 6, which is happening this weekend. So if you're listening to this in time and you haven't made plans already, get down to Canterbury Park, play in All In For Africa. A great impact, great tournament, ton of fun, uh, just a fabulous, fabulous time. So highly recommend that. I also want to give a quick shout out to the Free Poker Network, who is sponsoring the Rec Poker Podcast. A great group of guys and a great way to learn the game for free, playing at bars, and ultimately you can turn that into uh, even a trip to Vegas to play in a World Series of Poker event simply by, pay- by playing free poker. So check that out. Uh, but without further ado, uh, today we've got a special guest. I had an opportunity to interview Matt Hamilton a young, very strong player in the Minnesota poker community. And uh, we sat down and talked about his background and sort of his approach and what he's learning and and where he's going from here. So I hope you enjoy uh, this interview with Matt Hamilton. All right, so here with the great Matt Hamilton, right? That's how how you go by, great? Uh, I wouldn't refer to myself as that, but sure. But sure, I'll take it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Looking to the future. But, you know, I've got to know you a little bit over the years just played a couple of games with you you know mm-hmm. play a little bit at the tables but then you know you and I have some some interest same similar interests in terms of charitable work and mm-hmm. giving back to the community and that sort of thing so I've got to know you a little bit from there but mm-hmm. you know it seems like I'm, I'm watching you from distance as you're binking tournaments and, and, <laughs> and doing well there so it's been kind of fun to get to know you that way but maybe just start out a little bit about your, your background, you know, how you got into poker, kind of wherever you want to go with, with that deal. Yeah, so I started um, started playing poker uh, when I was probably 16. Uh, I got involved, uh, well, really started out just watching, I think it was like World Series of Poker uh, episodes on ESPN and really got interested in it and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I got invited like... Uh, um, I don't know, a few months after that, by one of my cousins, it was like a, you know, a small home game in our, in our town of Fergus Falls, and just like $5, we'd throw it in and, and play until a couple winners, and really started to enjoy it, and, and I was like uh, taking their money, and that was fun, <laughs> and uh, you know, so it just kind of grew from there when I uh, uh, went to college in, uh, went to college in Moorhead, Fargo uh, area, and uh, I would take the drive to uh, Shooting Star Casino quite a bit Min- over in Minoman. Minoma, yeah, Minoma, yeah. Minnesota. That was like my, I mean, because <clears throat> couldn't really play much else simply because there's really nothing else around. And I was like, uh, you know, 18, 19 at the time. Um, so very limited where I could actually go um, around there. But uh yeah, they would always have these small tournaments on the weekends, you know, like $45 buy-ins on Friday nights, I think it was. And then every once in a while, they'd have a weekend of, of a little bit bigger stakes and uh, just really enjoyed it, um, had a lot of fun, uh, you know, was making some profit too, um, and was just really learning a lot, uh, learning a lot about the game and just uh, really starting to think of it as something I wanted to do as kind of like a side thing for... Um, you know, for as long as I could. Um, so were you playing cash at all, or were you only tournaments? <clears throat> well, I was playing a little bit of cash. They had, their cash games was almost exclusively 
uh, two ten spread limit, so one one dollar, two dollar blinds, and then max bet of ten, um, which was kind of uh, a little bit boring, a little bit not interesting, because you know it's just kind it of wasn't plays. profitable enough to make up for the boredom. Yeah, it, it put, I mean, I played it plenty to yeah, be okay. fair. Um, but it just, you know, I, I much prefer the tournaments. And even even to this day, I, I much prefer tournament play. Um, Were you doing anything online at that time? A little bit. I uh, <clears throat> So I back at that time, I did play on PokerStars. Um, I played a little bit on Full Tilt. But n- I was never really that big of an online mm-hmm. player. You know, I know so many people that had a bunch of money in there, you know. Lost a bunch of money on Black Friday or, or whatever. I, I was never really one of those people. Um, I I would you know throw twenty bucks in yeah. at every once in a while and just kind of dabble around in it, but never really played that seriously. Um, well, just just to frame up the time frame too, I should have said this at the beginning. You're a pretty young guy, so yeah. how, how old are you now? I'm, I'm 26 now. Okay, so this is like eight, nine, yeah. seven, eight years ago yeah. that we're getting into Monoman and yeah, and. <clears throat> I really started playing um, pretty consistently when I discovered there's a, a poker tour. It's called the Dakota Poker Tour, but they run tournaments um, like around the Fargo area and like different uh, different small towns in the Fargo area, and uh, and they would run those on uh, Saturdays and Sundays on the weekends. So hmm. uh, when I wasn't working or going to school, <clears throat> excuse me, I would play those, and uh, really those would be. Um, a little bit higher stakes, like one hundred to three hundred dollar buy-in tournaments, and uh, you know I played that. Um, let's see, it was really trying to get the year, but I, I played that really consistently for about a year, and they had a had a leaderboard that they um, kept track of online, so that was kind of fun to compete. You get points for each tournament you play, and um, I ended up uh, the first full year that I played it, I actually ended the year as number one on the leaderboard nice. and I was like wow this is a lot of fun and just really enjoyed the competition and um, obviously the profit I was making um, and you know after that after I graduated college and my wife and I um, we decided to take a year and go down to Atlanta Georgia um, and we were there for it was through an organization called Mission Year but basically it was a service organization and we really, you know, we weren't happy with like the jobs we were working and whatnot. Um, and we really wanted to, um, you know, take a take an opportunity to serve others. Um, and so we landed on that and really enjoyed the experience. But obviously, you know, my poker went on hold. So it was about a year mm-hmm. that I didn't play at all. Um, I, I mean, I obviously missed it, but we were really busy with what we were doing, and obviously really enjoyed it too. So that was. Uh, we were down, just to um, give you a time frame, yeah. we were down at Atlanta, that was uh, three years ago now, so after we, well, when our year was wrapping up there, um, we were kind of deciding where to live after that. Um, so both of our families are from Fergus Falls, Minnesota, a small town, two and a half hours west of here. Fungus Falls. Nice. You're changing my perspective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so uh, we, we really didn't want to move back there because of our experience in inner city work and, you know, really finding a lot of meaning and 
um, value out of that. So we wanted to move to a bigger area, but we also wanted to be, um, you know, within driving distance of family. So, you know, Minneapolis uh, ended up being the the spot. Um, So we moved here two and a half years ago, uh, give or take. And uh, um, obviously when we got here, I was not disappointed with the opportunities (laughs) to play poker when I wanted to. I was like, man, it went from like, I could play max like once a weekend, maybe, to like, wow, I can play a tournament any, any, any day, day, any day, like twice yeah. a day if I wanted to. With like options. This, yeah, this is crazy. Yeah. And so obviously um, that really enjoyed that aspect of it. But also, you know, the main reason we're here and the main reason we moved here is to to live in the North Minneapolis area and just kind of work in that community and work for... Um, for organizations there. So my wife is a seventh grade math uh, middle school teacher there, and uh, I work with an after school program. Um, and we both work in North Minneapolis, and we're really loving it. So yeah, we've talked a lot about that. Yeah, off air, and I think there's there's something about you, you know I've encountered a lot of these super nice guys in poker, <laughs> yourself being one of them. That somehow you know like the the rest of their world is super nice or whatever. Then you get to the table and you're like, I'm gonna beat you to death. <laughs> That's how I think of you. I mean, with, with a smile, of course. But it's like it's almost like this poker allows you this alter ego. <laughs> like I'm going to beat you with my big stack oh, man. until you succumb. Man, yeah, that kind of make me feel bad. No, no, no you do with a, that's the game, right? But it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. sort of funny to you know when you uh, if I were to just watch how you play, and I haven't played with you a lot. You know, I mean, you've you're intimidated. You're hard to play against. Yeah. You know, you're you're a good solid player, and you know how to turn up the aggression and that sort of thing. And then, like, I know behind the behind that, yeah. that is this this you know this guy who's you know cares for other people <laughs> and is you know after school youth programs and all this sort of yeah. stuff. So it's sort of interesting this this dynamic. Yeah, you know, no, that is, that. that is actually really funny. I I've gotten that a couple from a couple of different people, and you know, my intention, I I uh, I have my own thoughts about you know. Uh, certain people that use intimidation and all that at the table and they're very like uh pretty open about it and that's clearly one of their strategies like immediate it's never certainly never been that for me um you're you're not an intimidating person and you don't present yeah that way i'm just saying that you know your style yeah yeah yeah. i'm going to put pressure on you right yeah Yeah. but no that's funny it's it's (laughs) like yeah you're absolutely right once you get to a poker table it's like you know, whatever is anyone's background is, whatever we do outside of this, we're all here. We're right. all on the same level, especially in tournament play, too. Yeah. You're all on the same level. and uh, We you all know, want all the chips. Yeah, all, all's fair and all that. You know, the it's, game, yeah. it's a lot of fun. So, so. What, are you, so what are you playing now, like on a regular, fairly regular basis? What's sort of your sweet spot? Mm-hmm. Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, my bread and butter tournaments are basically the... Uh, uh, the Saturday <clears throat> uh, when I'm in town and everything is kind of normal, I, I, I like to play the Saturday 180 buy-in at Canterbury and the, uh, follow up with that with the Sunday one at Running Aces, the $150 deep stack. Mm-hmm. Um, really love those two tournaments and I also love the, you know, the Wednesday night at Canterbury. I can't play that one because of my work schedule. Um, but the, uh, same with the Tuesday night at Aces. But if I, you know, if I could play those every once in a while, mm-hmm. I, I would too. But mm-hmm. I just can't. Um, but I just, you know, I love those tournaments. I love, uh, you know, a couple things I really enjoy about them is the atmosphere is usually always pretty positive. You know, it's not all that serious and people are kind of having fun. And, uh, 
you know, it's early enough where, you know, uh, you can catch people sleeping or, you know, not paying attention. I right. mean, it's just like, uh, it's pretty, I've found them definitely very profitable for me. And they've allowed me actually to play bigger buying tournaments when they come along, which mm -hmm. has been really nice. You know, I, you know, it's been fortunate. I was, I was able to hit, you know, a couple first place prize, which in those tournaments typically, you know, the aces one is a little smaller. First place will be around like, you know, twenty five hundred to three thousand, mm -hmm. and then uh, Canterbury gets a little bit more of a turnout, looking at like thirty five hundred, sometimes four thousand. So, um, so that then helps bankroll <clears throat> some of the the bigger ones. Yeah, and you've had some nice scores in some of the bigger ones lately. I noticed. Yeah. I was looking at Hendon Mob, and I've known some of this because I, I kind of follow you. But yeah, you know, in January you took a third out of the five hundred dollars at running aces. For like 12k, and then last September and October, you had a, a first at the ultimate. Then you took a third out of the $1,100 Fall Poker Classic, yeah. And that was your biggest score, at least on hand. Mom was 37,000, yeah. That's been my biggest score. So, you've days, sort of so used far. those, you know, part of this with rec poker. What we're trying to do with a lot of our people is say, okay, let's let's give you the confidence to move from playing the bars to a home game, yeah, from the home game to the 30 or $50 tournaments in the casinos, mm -hmm. up to maybe the you know the qualifiers at $100 tournaments, you know, kind of keep moving that yeah. game up. That's <clears throat> so what it sounds like for you is, I mean, you've been gifted from the beginning, but you're you're using your being smart with the bankroll in terms of, mm -hmm. let me play these weekend $100, $200 tournaments, mm -hmm. and once I'm able to build up enough bankroll, then I can try to leverage that into the bigger tournaments. Am I getting yeah. sort of how you're approaching this? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you're definitely spot on. And, uh, you know, I would say that's kind of been my approach at, since I started poker. I remember back when I used to play in Monoma at Shooting Star, every once in a while they'd have, uh, I mean, I think it was, it was a little bit later on while I was playing there, but they had a couple $1,100 buy-in tournaments. Um, and at the time, I'm thinking, man, like $1,100, that's a fortune. I don't, I would never be able to right. play one of those tournaments. And, uh, you know, it just so happened that they had a, uh, um, like a $100 satellite into it, and which satellites, by the way, is a fantastic, fantastic. way to get into these events. Yep. Um, and so I, I took a shot at that, you know, 10% got in and I, and I won a seat and I was so excited and just thrilled. And I was, but at the time I'm like, well, you know, I could sell this seat, 1100 that's a lot of money. Right. But, you know, my thought process, like I said, has always been, I'm going to take shots when I can take them. So I took a shot at that one. I remember that was my first, it's kind of, kind of funny. Uh, it was my first $1,100 buying tournament ever. I was just like on cloud nine. I was just like, you know, this really little kid and just like having a lot of fun. I was like, every decision I made in that tournament was like life or death. For right. Because no, it was sure. like, it was a Too huge amount of money. Right. Oh yeah. And I ended up, um, it was, it was a small turnout. Um, granted it was like, I don't know how many people, it was really small. It was like 40 40 some 50 mm -hmm. people but I actually ended up winning it after like a small chop and this was yeah a long time ago yeah. and I and I can't remember how much I it wasn't a lot of money because of the turnout I think it I think I made like 15,000 or something but I was just like so ecstatic and so thrilled and I was like you know just kind of cemented obviously that's kind of like a dream scenario first $1,100 oh, sure. yeah. ever winning it and it's like that doesn't, you know, very rarely happens, especially in bigger fields. But, um, you know, for me, it just kind of cemented my thought process of, 
you know, when I when I can take these shots, I'm going to take them right, um, right. as long as I have the means to do so. You know, yeah. And if it's not your livelihood, if you're yeah. sort of managing your poker right. separately, right. And that's also yeah. that's also important. You know, I think especially being married and. Um, you know, I have a kid on the way right now, right. so uh, and you're working in the nonprofit world. So yeah. it's not like you got all this <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not rolling in the dough. You know? I know I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's cool. really important uh, for me to keep you know what I do with poker separate from you know. And if I if I take shots and I you know I lose my poker bankroll or whatever, um, that's going to be it for me at least for that time. You mm-hmm. know, I'm I'm going to have to take They're a step back again. and you know build it, and that's. Yep. You know, that's how it goes, and that's how I view it. You know, I can't, um, you know, I, I just don't have an endless supply of money. And, right. you know, nobody really, does. I mean, some people do, but mm-hmm. most people don't in the poker community. And so it's super important to, you know, if you do take those shots uh, like I like to, to, to know in the back of your mind that, um, you know, if you get on a bad run, a bad streak, there might be a time where you just have right. to, and I've, and I've done that before, you know, I've, I've taken I've taken breaks. I've taken I mean I took a year long break not too long ago, but yeah. that's a, I think that's also good just for to kind of clear your head sometimes and just kind of get back on the right track and uh, refocus. But um, and that's always my piece with the the qualifiers too. Yeah, um, you know I keep track of everything, so I'm an analytic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by far my highest ROI is qualifiers. You know, because you can get four times your money, you don't have to win the thing or get top yeah, three. Right. Um, and so I'm always in that in that situation where I qualify, and then it's do I play it or not. Mm-hmm. So whether that's a seventy-five dollar into a two eighty, or you know, uh, you know, whatever two sixty into an eleven hundred, even more so there. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, eleven hundred for me, that's a big score. You know, I just positive seven yeah, seven fifty exactly. or whatever. And I always look at those as two separate decisions. Mm-hmm. So I always say. Instead of saying, "Oh, it only cost me two sixty to play this tournament," I was like, "Okay, two sixty to eleven hundred. That's done. Yeah, I now have eleven hundred in my pocket. Right? Do I want to invest that? And so that's sort of where I run into. And so I take a lot of heat from people. You should play the main. It only cost you. <laughs> yeah. I know, but it really did yeah. cost me eleven hundred because I have that in the pocket. So it's yeah. it's an interesting dilemma. And I think for me, the key is always kind of what you alluded to: is well, I play differently because of the money. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think I can get investors to play, like, even, like, the main event, the World Series main event. Because sure. people are like, oh, if you ever do that, I want to invest. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that's cool, obviously, of course. But, like, I just know myself well enough to know I'll play differently. I, I, I won't take those spots where I'd take in a $75 tournament. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting dilemma. But, oh, for sure. Yeah. So, so switching gears a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I'm curious as we start getting into some of the strategy piece, mm-hmm. just in terms of your game in general, like, how would you characterize your game? You know, you hear people label different things. You know, it's a leg or a tag. Yeah. Or you've got, you know, I'm a field player versus more of an analytic yeah. um, player. Um, maybe, you know, GTO or I'm, I'm more patient or I'm an initiator. Kind yeah. of, how would you characterize and broad brush your game? Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't kind of slap a term on myself um, because I really don't know. I think other people would be able to describe my game maybe better than myself. Mm. Um, but just in terms of thinking about the way I play, um, I definitely am aggressive and sometimes overly aggressive. And that's one of the kind of my pitfalls sometimes. But I definitely like to, uh, I, I wouldn't consider my, the way I play is not like a, you know, I've studied a little bit about, like, GTO and, you know, all the, like, really intricate mathematical and, and all that stuff, but I really 
that's just really not the way I play. You know, I do play aggressively, but I play a lot with, um, and I think maybe this comes from the fact that I really haven't played much online, but I really just play with how I feel at the table, you know, depending on my opponents. I rely a lot on just kind of like the flow of each hand with the opponent I'm in and how I how I feel like they're feeling about it. I, you know, I try to get as much in the way of, of reads and just studying my opponents mm -hmm. and how they're reacting to different situations. Um, I, I find that kind of going with that has been my most successful style of play and you know I kind of like you mix in a lot of aggression with that uh, I, I tend to uh, you know I've, I've kicked myself a lot of times for for making really thin kind of like hero <laughs> calls which I think is definitely something I've tried to crack crack down on lately but there's been many tournaments where I've just I've lost a lot of chips and you know just with like these silly calls that when I look back after I'm just like why did I do that you know well and I've shared that on the podcast and yeah. I'm addicted to hero calling <laughs> yeah and I've had people in tournaments make big bets on the river for me and they've told me because of what you said on the podcast yeah. Alberto <laughs> said like... I made that bet because I know you're addicted to hero calling <laughs> awesome. but yeah. then I just played I just actually just won a tournament and part of the big part of that was I made two hero calls with bottom pair and ace high you're correct and yeah. I was correct and yeah. so you know, you say that, I'm trying to get less of that yeah. too, but, you know, it's hard to turn that off, especially if you know that you can win some big pots that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, you know, and the way that I've kind of, like, adjusted my thinking is that sometimes when I'm in a hand, I'm consciously, I'm really, like, you know, I have a really good feel for where I'm at, and I have a really good feel for where I think my opponent is at and where I think his hand ranges are, and I just... You know, I get that feeling. I feel really good about it. And when I make a decision to, like, you know, hero call, you know, most of my stack, it, it's funny, like, when I get, when I feel really good about a situation, I tend to be right way more often than I'm wrong. And yeah. then there's other situations where I'm like, well, you know. Talk yourself into yeah, it. Yeah, and I don't really have a good plan, um, like, previous situations, and I'm like, Okay, well, maybe you know, maybe you did this with this, this exact hand, and I talk about well. There's like three specific hands right. that I could beat. And I just kind of instead of like the broad range. Of yeah, and it's, and I'm no longer really studying my opponent. I'm no no longer really thinking about how he's feeling. I'm just thinking about well, what can I beat, and what are possible hands could he have, and you know, what I, t I find that when I'm in that type of a situation, okay. I really am not really sure where I'm at. I end up you know, being wrong more often than I'm right. Okay. So that's the part of, that's a part of yeah. my aggression that I'm really trying to adjust um, right do you, now. Do you find that part of that is, because um, I've talked to other rec players who are similar mm -hmm. to me in this way, is I tend to respond to players assuming they're playing the way that I would play. Mm. So because I can be much more aggressive, at least than the players that I play with, yeah, I'll much more frequently make a light river bet trying to steal the pot. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm facing a river bet, mm -hmm. I think I'm much more prone to call partially because, oh yeah, I know what you're doing there because I would be doing that with, with air too. Yeah. Do you feel like that's uh, that's part of the, the struggle or part of something that rec players need to figure out is how do I play against that player versus how do I play against you know some reflection of myself? Yeah, I, I think that's incredibly important. Um, and... You know, going back to 
you know, taking shots at bigger tournaments versus playing smaller tournaments, that's really something incredibly important to keep in mind, too, because when you're playing smaller buy-in tournaments, um, the level of, you know, thinking ahead and, like, thinking through moves really carefully just isn't there as much as when you play bigger buy-in tournaments. And I'm, I'm not saying that, like, you know, there's a lot of bad players or whatever. I'm just, that's just kind of the reality right. is that, you know, when there's more money on the line, um, generally there's better players and there's more thinking involved. And I think when you, like, like say when you win a satellite, when you're, you know, a s- small stakes player, you win a satellite, you take a shot into a bigger event, I think you have to go into that event thinking with a thought process of, okay, these players, generally, they're probably going to be able to think through, you know, they're going to be doing moves, they're going to be doing things that I wouldn't see in the smaller stakes tournaments. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, uh, I think for myself, when I used to play, and, you know, the smaller buy-in tournaments, I would, there'd be so many situations where, you know, I, I would kind of almost know that, okay, there's no way this player is going to be making this move. There's no way this player is going to be bluffing here. You know, there's, there's just not going to happen because it's just so rarely does in that, you know, Forbidden pre-flop. Right, right. It, it always has to be like aces and like, you know, there's, there's certain tournament stakes that I used to play that like... If there was a three bet pre, it was always Huge. aces kings, ace king, you know, queens, you know, maybe ace queen if they're super loose. Yeah, 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 <laughs> just just premium for right. sure, almost all the time. And then, you know, when when I get into a bigger buying tournament, right. I find myself wow, like that's I just saw a three bet here, I saw a three bet, you know, and right. you you have to really quickly adjust your your thinking and, and just realize that you know these players are capable of different things. And I think um, for, for myself, going back to what you said about kind of like other people playing the way that I have, I don't really, I, I, I haven't really thought that way for myself because, you know, I've, I've always been kind of like the youngest player. You know, when I played the Dakota mm-hmm. League, when I played a shooting star, I was always like the young gun there and, and kind of like adjusting my aggression back then and always playing with guys that um, usually a lot older than me, usually played a lot more tight. So um, I guess I don't really have that same thought process that you do, but okay. um, definitely I would say um, it's been incredibly important to be able to know you're going to have to adjust the way you think about your opponents when you play different stakes, I think yep. is one of the most important takeaways is depending on the type of tournament you're playing, you know, it might be completely fair to assume different things about your opponents. Um, if you've played that that stakes for a while and you kind of know how things are, um, I think it's totally fine to have a general thought process of, um, you know, how tight people are, how aggressive people mm-hmm. are. Um, and just kind of being able to um, take a step back from that when you play a different style of tournament or a different stake and kind of, you know, it can be hard to reserve your, you know, assumptions and stuff that you've gathered through your other, you know, tournaments that you've played. And I think it's important to be able to kind of remove yourself from that when you do take a shot, you know, if it's like a satellite you want and you play a bigger tournament or whatever, you need mm-hmm. to be able to have a different thought process. For sure. So I'm thinking about, you talked about hand-ranging, and maybe mm-hmm. that sounds like that's a strength of yours, or at least something you're constantly paying attention to, mm-hmm. and paying attention to the player, maybe picking up reads, that sort of thing. One of the things we talk a lot about on the podcast is, as a recreational player, as somebody that's gaining experience, a lot of us, 
there, it seems like there's so much information that we are supposed to process. Mm-hmm. You know, everything from we're supposed to know what everybody's stack sizes are. You know, what's the you know the stack to pot ratio. You know, what's their betting pattern? You know, how often are they opening an early position? Every person, how much are they opening all these different yeah. positions? What are they raising to? And is this an anomaly that they've raised to some different amount, less or more? Mm-hmm. What's their sort of three-bet frequency? Uh, what are they showing down? Mm-hmm. You know, what are they what are they call folding? I mean, just it feels like there's so much information, not to mention, yeah. okay, the hand range and what do I have and what should be my opening and three-bet range in general? Mm-hmm. What do I do against this? I mean, you know, there, there's volumes yeah. of data. Yeah. And I think one of the things I struggle with in some of the conversations I've had uh, first of all, I'm not mentally capable of processing all of that. I can't. I can't even remember what, how many chips I have right. without looking all the time. Yeah. <laughs> much less what everybody else has, other than sure. okay, their big stack or whatever. I can't even do that. Much less what are the betting patterns and sure. everything else. My memory's just not there. Maybe when I'm 26, I can do that. <laughs> um, and so, I find myself having to prioritize. What am I going to pay attention to? Am I paying attention to? Am I just focusing on hand ranging? And just saying, okay, they opened, what could that be? And narrowing that down, which for me still requires a lot of energy. Uh, yeah. I can't just do that on the fly. Maybe that's just experience. Or should I be focusing on you know, what my bet size should be relative to their stack? What's the effective stack? But anyway, my, with all of this stuff, I have to prioritize what I'm actually thinking about. Yeah. And my, what I wrestle with a lot is, am I prioritizing the right things? Am I using a lot of mental energy on the wrong things, trying to pick up physical reads? Mm versus I should really be paying attention to this more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's a really vague, open-ended question, mm-hmm. but if you were to step back and say, what are the things, if you're only going to really focus on a couple of things, what would they be? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I think that, like you said, there's tons of things to think about. Um, and if you're just kind of like realizing all this and just kind of like getting overwhelmed, like, oh, I'm never going to be able to do all that, I, you know, I should just play, you know, I think that's, um, that's a mistake to think that way, because most people that play don't think about all those things, for at least, you know. But when you read the books and you do the things, yeah, you, know, oh, yeah. you should, you should, you should, and I think how are yeah. people possibly processing all that information? Yeah, yeah, I think that um, starting out, it's, you know, if you pay attention to a couple things at the table and just you know, slowly different things will just kind of become second nature. At least for me, I think, you know, the more you make a habit out of things, the more it just kind of like becomes a part of how you do and you can kind of slowly incorporate, you know, different things um, over time. I think starting out, some of the most important things is just focusing on, okay, what are some of the, you know, fundamentals that, that make a good player, I think, is important to think about and set like there's a lot of more intricate um, thought process and you know when you start getting into like um, throwing around terms like GTO or like, like all these different things like to the recreational player that like what in the world is that balancing my four betting range yeah it's like right. I have no idea and and I think it's fine like I I, I don't think you need to panic if you because like. For myself, even a lot of that stuff, I, I don't really dabble into at all, and I just kind of focus on the way I play. I mean, I think I slowly am learning different things, but I haven't. That's not the way that I've played. And I think starting out, some of the most important things 
is just um, realizing the tournament structure itself, you know, realizing, keeping a mental note constantly of, of, like you said, your stack size and just kind of like converting that to big blinds and like relative to, um, I think a mistake that some people make is they focus so much on like, okay, what's, what's the average stack in the tournament right now? Where am I at compared to that? Instead of focusing on, you know, how many big blinds do I have? You know, what's, what's the next blind level? I think um, there's a mistake in panicking when your stack is like, you know, the average stack is 20K and you have 18K. You're like, oh, no, I got to get 2K more. T- I got to yeah. stay with average. I think that's a mistake that too many players make. Um, yeah, I just, saw, have, like, I just saw a guy open ship 80 big blinds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, he started with 10K and he was down to 4K. Yeah. And the blinds are 2550, the first level. Yeah. And he said, well, I was way under average stack. And he just yeah. shipped 80 big blinds. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. And, yeah, Interesting. yeah, yeah. And, and, you see that, and you see that in bigger buying tournaments all the time, too. Mm-hmm. People just completely um, panicking with, with a shorter stack. I think mm-hmm. that's one of those fundamentals that... You know, I've I've learned a lot from you know different um, higher level players in Minnesota. Once I moved here, I started kind of taking in a lot of information, um, and I learned a lot from the likes of like um, uh, Aaron Johnson and Vlad, and like you know all these different people that play really well. Um, Joe Bernard, you know, all these play really well with uh, shorter stacks, and learned a lot from them um, and just watching them play. Um, but also I think, um, so I think, you know, working with the big blinds you have and just learning that fundamental of keeping track of, you know, if you don't keep track of anyone else, keep track of yourself, keep track of where you're at, you know, relative to people at your table. I think it's much more important to focus on your table rather than focusing on like the average stack or people around you because you're not playing with all those. You're playing with the you know, eight or nine other people at your table, you know, who's the big stack at your table? How are they playing? Who are the shorter stacks at your table? How are they playing? So just, you know, and I don't think it's important to keep track of, especially starting out how many big blinds everyone has, but just have a general idea, okay, well, he's got a monster stack and he's opening 50% of his hands. You know, he's got 12 big blinds and he's not playing a hand. You know, those types of, uh, fundamentals where you're just always kind of realizing the game is shifting these players are shifting their aggression based on how big their stack is um, and also just kind of keeping track of um, if you're if you're going to really study opponents at your table and you find it overwhelming to be like man how am I going to pick up reads and tells on all these different people just focus on like the people right next to you because first first of all that's you know, you're sitting right next to them. You're going to be able to pick up mm-hmm. information that you're not going to be able to someone sitting way across the table. Um, and they're, you know, realistically going to be the players you're probably going to play the most with. People to your closest right. to your left or right. You know, whether they're, on, you know, they're raising your big blind or whether you're raising their big blind or small blind, you know chances are you're going to be playing with, you're going to be battling with them more often than the people across the table from you. Right. So, you know, starting out, it's, I think it's really important to, you know, try to just, um, you know, you don't have to be like super structured about it, but just kind of try to focus on how they play, especially, 
you know, when, uh, when they're sitting right next to you and, um, you know, I think you can make a mistake of just kind of checking out when you fold a hand or whatever. And I make that mistake all the time. Believe me, um, way more often than I should. But I think, you know, being able to stay focused when you're not in the hand is also incredibly important. Well, that's what I was going to, that was the next question is, okay, you know, when you're out of the hand, I mean, I think there are some times where a mental break is maybe just a good thing. Check Mm -hmm. out a little bit, whatever, I think. But generally you want to stay focused. Everybody Mm -hmm. says stay focused, stay engaged, stay in the hand. Question is, what am I, what are, I guess, what are you doing when you're staying engaged? Are you using that to look for physical tells? Are you using that to kind of work on your hand-ranging skills of people, kind mm-hmm. of guess what they're going to have mm-hmm. at showdown? What? Because it, it, it goes back to even what you mentioned about, you know, be aware, okay, I've got 25 bigs, or I've got 50 bigs, and they've got 40 bigs, and they've got 20 bigs. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can observe, but ultimately the question for me is if I'm not actually going to use it in some way, like if it doesn't matter to me if I have 50 or 80 bigs, if I'm not good enough to really know how different should I play? How much do I? How much mental energy do I spend on that? Mm-hmm. So for me, I want to make sure I'm spending the mental mental energy on something that's going to be useful mm-hmm. later. So if I'm out of a hand now, I folded, and the hand is continuing. What are you paying attention to that you think you can actually use later? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I think that. Well, first of all, let me just say that I'm not like a wizard at the table, <laughs> and I, I I don't like you know. As soon as I fold a hand, I'm not just like laser focused on, okay, picking up all this information. You know, there's (laughs) times where I'm just completely zoned out, you know, watching TV, you know, looking at my phone, whatever. I I make, you know, I distract myself um, probably just as often as the next guy. But I think I try to, and this is also something I've tried to do more recently, um, is, and the things that I study is... I think that's a fantastic question. Um, some of the basic things that I really look for is just um, bet sizing. And this is also something I think it's hard to keep track of down the line. Um, but just like how, you know, how often do they continue on the flop? And if they do, you know, if, you, if you're at a, like a 100, 200 blind level and they bet the flop and they bet like, you know, 400, um, and then you see them do a different hand, you're paying attention to them, and, and they bet, you know, 600 on the flop, you know, what kind of, you know, if they vary their bet sizing, if that means anything at all, and if they look kind of differently when they bet bigger or smaller, you know, I think um, just kind of paying attention to, um, and if, and it can be like really overwhelming to just try to kind of take in all this information, and it can feel like, at the end of the day, oh, you know, I just looked at him play through that hand and uh, I learned absolutely nothing and I have mm-hmm. no idea. Um, but I, I think just the more that you do that and the more that you really focus on studying the action and paying attention to the action, I, I think that's, if there's starting, if, you know, starting out, I think the important thing is just to follow the action and just, mm-hmm. you know, because you pick up, you know, I don't think it's like important to really focus. Okay, let me just, I'm gonna try to get a, a physical tell on him right now. I'm just gonna look for that. Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna really look for and just, I'm gonna memorize his bet sizing and just really know, you know, I, I think it's more important, especially starting out, just to get comfortable with 
understanding the flow of the game and just you know being disciplined because there's a there's a big discipline in in paying attention to hands when you're not in them so starting out if you you know if I don't pick up any information from anyone at the table um, five hands I've studied you know like really laser focused studied for five different hands you know I think it's perfectly fine to come away with that and be like I know absolutely nothing about any of them but you know that's that's five hands if you make that a habit and mm-hmm. you make that part of your game I think it like I said before things just kind of become second nature and if you can find the discipline you know I, I know some people that have that discipline that all the time are just focused and studying other people I think you just tend to yeah. kind of realize information as it kind of comes to you instead of focus like being really focused on uh, let's see if I can pick up this type of information I think more just like generally focusing I like I said before yeah. if you really want to study like physical tells just look for the people next to you starting off yeah. like and maybe there's someone at the table that you know throws something really obvious out there like maybe uh, I think there are certain things that you can pick up like Mm -hmm. you know say someone's uh, hand is really shaking when they when they put out a bet like what does that mean to the the next time the bet is their hand not shaking like there's different things like that I think that are Mm -hmm. fairly more obvious that you can really take a note of but I think in general it's just kind of like um, I think for me bet sizing is almost more important than like physical information mm-hmm. not all the time I think like if I'm in a hand with someone I I rely decently on how how I see that they're feeling you know if they lean back in the chair or if they're right. like you know staring at me in the face or like you know there's different things that people do almost unconsciously when mm-hmm. they're in a hand with someone and I think when you're in that moment that's the best time to learn from that right. that opponent um, but uh, you know, I, I just think... Uh, well, it sounds like what I'm hearing is sort of just being open to collecting information. Yeah. Maybe not worrying so much about processing it all. Yeah, just yeah. Just being open to receiving it and then just trusting that your brain or your experience or something will kick in when the time comes to need that information. Yeah. Or something. That almost seems easier to me than trying to, yeah, okay, where do I file that? Right. They went 4X, they went 6X, they went, you know, all of these different things. So maybe just being open to it, trusting it. And I think, like you said, even if you go five hands without thinking you collected anything you collected experience yeah and you're training yourself and i think you don't know it's almost like going to like a spanish immersion camp i mean mm-hmm. you know you don't really aren't really speaking it but you're just sort of getting it and pretty soon words start to make sense yeah. and i think about like position was that way for me like i remember when i first started i'd literally have to tell myself okay you're on the button okay now you're <laughs> in the cutoff mm-hmm. you know and now it's just okay i just know i'm in late position yeah and so there are things that that's that, that just sort of become internalized. Yeah, and I and I think for myself, like, I want to I want to say that I I don't think I'm the best when it comes to, um, you know, really spotting you know tells or right. like spotting all this stuff. Like I like I said, I'm not a wizard. I, there's plenty of people that are much better than myself. But when I just think about myself when I play a tournament, when I get when I first sit down at a table, I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm just kind of feeling the water, you know, I'm really, uh, you know, not all that comfortable yet. But when, you know, one, two, three, four levels in, 
I find that I become really comfortable because I've mm. just kind of generally studied, you know, like I said, just kind of generally following the action and just have a general understanding of how people are playing. Are they playing, you know, how often are they opening, you know, are they folding every hand? Right. And just getting a general feel of where I feel each of my opponent is at. Um, and then, you know, when it really, when we battle, I can use some of that information um, to kind of navigate through our hands together. So, you know, from just thinking about it myself, it's like, I don't have like, uh, you know, like a x-ray vision of everyone and just have like notes of like, okay, this person is, you know, whatever, whatever, right. whatever is like, I, that's not me. Uh, but I do know that even without all that information, how my comfort level changes right. as the tournament gets deeper and I've spent more time with each opponent. So you absorb and then you're able to recall the right information or at least some of the right information yeah. when the time calls for it. Yeah, and if not and if it's nothing specific, you at yep. least have a general idea of okay, right. this opponent is you know, he's been playing looser, he's yep. been playing you know, whatever, he's been playing tighter, he's you know he, he triple barrels a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I think those bits of information can really help you navigate through uh, when you get into hands, yeah. um, and you know, just kind of recalling some of those basics of how how that person plays, and you might not even have to kind of recall it because if you're kind of actively doing this, you kind of it's already in the front of your mind. Okay, even at going into the hand against this person, okay, I know this person is going to be continuing ninety percent of flops or whatever. You know, right. it's just kind of all active information. Um, and you don't have to like sit there and just be like, okay, who did you know? Mm -hmm. What was his bet sizing on the river five hands ago? Let me remember. You know, yep. it's just kind of like a general feel, I think, okay. for for me anyway. Well, that's good. That's good. Let me let me switch gears. I'm going to ask you a it's a question I asked of of both um, Joe and John. Oh boy. It's, well, no, it's okay. we'll see if you you do better than they did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, no, this is a it's a specific hand situation, but it's intentionally like ridiculously vague. Okay. And the reason I'm asking the question is to get a feel for you, like what, what is the most important information you need to be able to make some decision? Okay, so it's not your typical hand scenario where you have all of the okay. information. I'm going to give it, you know, just very vague. Tell me what information you, you have to have in order to make the decision. Okay. All right, so you're on the button. Okay. Under the gun raise. Uh, guy just to your right calls. And you're on the button with ace-jack. Okay. That's all I'm going to give you. Okay, so under the gun raises, folds around to the guy next to you. He calls, and it's on you with ace-jack. Correct. Um, I think the first bits of information that I want to know is what are their stack sizes. So what's, what's the under gun, like under the gun, what's his, first of all, what's his bet size, and what's that relative to his stack size? And then same thing with my opponent on my right. Um, and then I immediately want to think, um, you know, once I find that information, um, how often do I think this opponent is raising under the gun? Um, and what kind of, you know, going into hand rages, like um, what do I think that player under the gun is opening with? How wide do I think he's opening? How aggressive has he been? And then similar to my opponent on the right, has he called a, a raise often, like in position? Um, 
you know, how big is his stack size? Um, what's his calling range there? Um, has he, have we seen him do any kind of tricky, like, um, just traps or anything like that? Um, and, and I think just kind of going from there. Um, so yeah, just basic, uh, you know, what's their stack size? How many big blinds do they have? And how aggressive or tight have we seen them be? And how, you know, and then kind of going from there, I think is, those are basic important bits of information to be thinking about. That's good. So a lot of times at least I can think this way and maybe others are the same way. I think, okay, these are the list of five or six pieces of information I need to have. Mm -hmm. And so I say, okay, they have 30 big blinds and they went to two and a half X and the opening hand range is typically this and they tend to be opening more often than not. And so I have all of these pieces of information. Sure. Some of them can be competing. Like, boy, that seems to be more of an indicator that they're strong. This seems to be more of an indicator that they're weak. And so I I try to take all of that in and say, well, okay, great, I have competing information. Is, do you see it as separate bits of information or is all of the information that you called out really around building a range? I mean, is that the ultimate goal is I'm going to consider the their frequency. I'm going to consider their stack size. I'm going to consider their player type. All of that is really it's all feeding into developing other ranges. Is that the ultimate goal? Um, or, I mean, what, but before you, for you to make a decision, yeah. like there's a whole bunch of information that all seems competing. But what's the what's the driving force for you to know what to do? Is it a range? That's a fantastic question. Um, I think for me, uh, hmm. Honestly, or can you just give those the different amounts of weight, sort of? And you, yeah, it just seems like it's, at some point something has to win in those situations where it feels like it's kind there's of competing make, information. Yeah, and just kind of what pushes you to make the decision. Yeah, like he's let's see, he's hyper aggressive and he opens a ton under the gun. Yeah, but he just raised to thirty to forty percent of his stack. Sure, those seem like competing pieces of information. Sure, sure, yeah. Obviously, I think you have to. You know, even even really aggressive opponents, you have to take into account, you know, they can wake up with hands too. So I, I think, uh, you know, for me, just kind of what initially gets me into a hand is how I feel my position is relative to my opponents and, you know, how strong I feel like they're playing their hand. Um, and I guess, so to put that into... Uh, you know specific details it just kind of is like um, I kind of base how strong I feel my opponent is based on how how uh, active I feel they've been um, is really initially important for me so if they're raising a lot of hands I'm more comfortable with getting into a hand and and you know and raising or whatever playing more aggressively um, if they're rarely playing at hand um i can you know some red flakes go up or whatever and if there's how much aggression is before me like in that type of a situation when there's a under the gun raise and then a late position call we haven't seen a whole lot of aggression you know it's been um whether on the other hand if it was like an under the gun raise and then like a three bet um that kind of definitely changes the dynamic so I, I tend to find that when I can come into a pot as the aggressor, there's more 
you know, I, I win more often than when I come into the pot as like a, you know, just more of a passive player. So um, that ultimate, like, th- that's one of the big things, like thinking about whether I'm coming into a hand or not. Like, am I the aggressor here? Am I going to be able to, you know, control the action post flop? Or am I going to have to follow someone's lead? Because if I have to follow someone's lead and just kind of like attend that I get into more sticky situations than mm-hmm. when when I'm kind of controlling the action. So that's yeah. one of the bits of inf- like one of the important pieces for me, I guess. Um, it definitely changes when I'm in the small blind or the big blind, but um, you know when I'm in position, um, I really have to know: can I control this action? And because ultimately, if you can control the action and you can make the decisions post flop you're going to be able to win a lot more than you lose because aggression definitely... Um, you have two ways to win. Yeah. Right? You can get people to fold or you can have the best hand, right? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, but then there's the balancing that between how many chips you burn off in the process. <laughs> yeah. Right, when tournaments yeah. are about survival right. in a lot of ways, yeah. too. So yeah. there is those competing... Oh, yeah. That's, again, another situation where I'm talking about these competing pieces of information. Yeah. like. I think I need to re-raise here to gain control of the pot sure. and to put pressure on my opponent and ultimately to exercise fold equity. Sure. But that's 20% of my stack yeah. or, or whatever. There's always those competing pieces. Yeah, that's all. That's yeah, that's really good. Um, really good note um, is this idea that tournament poker at the end of the day is about survival. Um, and, uh, you know, so deciding whether or not to open into a hand also you have to really take into account um where you're at in terms of big blinds and how big Mm -hmm. is your stack relative to your opponents because they're thinking about the same thing you know when you have a big stack and they you know they're coming into a pot with kind of a iffy you know 15 to 20 big blinds or you know whatever the case might be um, it's also important to know that your opponent in that situation is, you know, going to be thinking and more concerned with the stack and more concerned with how many chips he has to put in. Um, so, it, you know, it goes both ways, I think, keeping that mm-hmm. into your mind all the time. Like I, like I said, going back to always keeping a good track of generally how people stack sizes are at, I think is one of the most important things mm-hmm. about tournament poker. And, uh, you know, being able to vary your aggression based on that um, is also really important. I and think. I think because, you know, what I try to remember is when I have 15 or 20 big blinds and people are betting into me, how much pressure I feel right. knowing that, do I want to risk my tournament life on this hand? Is this the spot where I... So it puts all this extra pressure on because you yeah. know it's for your tournament life. For sure. And so I think, yeah, being able to recognize the other side of the coin mm-hmm. of that pressure that you can put on the other player. Yeah. Because that's... often we just think, oh, I don't want that to happen to me, but we have the opportunity <laughs> exactly. to do that to other people. Yep, exactly. That's that's one yeah. of the beauties of poker, you know? Right. Um, it's to take ourselves sort of out of our own situation put ourselves in other people's situation. Yep. And yeah. that's something that I'm hoping at some point will become second nature yeah. to me as well. So, so let me let me ask you this: We got a, we're running out of time already. Oh wow! I know it's it's been awesome. Maybe we'll do part two or whatever. But <laughs> um, I have to go back to work. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things I, I because you play a variety of tournaments, you play the the bigger dollar buy-ins. At least yeah. what we classify as the bigger dollar buy-ins, the eleven hundreds and that yeah. sort of thing. But yeah, you'll also play the weekly tournaments and. 
even some of the smaller weekly mm-hmm. tournaments. I know you've played the 50s yeah, and 75s definitely. and that sort of thing. So you see this, the spectrum. For those of us who are in the, that 50 to 75 to $150 range, mm-hmm. um, what do you? What would you say are the biggest mistakes that you see players making? You know, obviously you're at the table and you're a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You're not going to call them out, but you're going to be noticing, ooh, yeah, that was a little little rough or yeah. that seemed like too much or the too mm-hmm. little or the wrong play or whatever. Are there categories or buckets of those things that you would say, boy, if, if the recreational players could just eliminate that mistake or this type of mistake sure. in general, you know, their, their life would be much better, their ROI would be better. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that I see all the time is um, a lot of limping preflop. Um, I think especially in smaller buy-in tournaments, you see a lot of like four, five, six, seven. Nine-handed. <laughs> yeah, family Well, you pods. ruined the family pod, dude. Yeah, yeah. Right. Wow. yeah. yeah. And I think mm-hmm. uh, when you find yourself doing that, you're relying way more on uh, the flops, way more on hitting your hands than you are um, playing aggression and playing your opponents. Um, and so that that kind of turns into more of a bingo type of a game. Pick me, dealer. Pick me. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you hear that all the time. Too. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, when you're when your table is playing like that, don't fall into their style of play. You know, find how to adapt your style of play to that table. You know, it might mean raising 6x preflop you know i think that's also a mistake you you have this set way of how you play and you're like okay i picked up ace king under the gun and i raised the 2.5x and i got eight callers and the you know i got so frustrated because i didn't win or whatever or i picked up aces in middle position Mm -hmm. and i had a limper and a limper and i raised the 3x and then you know i got two callers behind me and we went six ways and i lost with aces you know i think being able to know okay well my 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 table has been limping a lot I pick up aces and I got seven limpers in front of me. Right. I, I might have to raise it to like 10x right. and I'm probably still going to get... What can I do to get one or two calls? One call, yeah, maybe two. You know, right. and I think you have to be right. able to adjust you know, the, those basics and, and not fall into what everyone else is doing. So know? it may mean raising more, it may mean folding more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Instead of saying, well, jack seven, let's just see what happens. Yeah, and that's just what so save, many people Save the blind do. and move on. Yeah, you know, right. I, I think there's... Uh, you know, even in, in bigger buy-in tournaments, there's kind of a precedent that gets set at the table and people yep. either fall into that precedent or they remain true to their style of play and play how they how they play. So it might mean, you know, <laughs> ruining the family pot by, right. you know, raising it or f- being the only one who folds. Right. You know, I think that's okay too. But just being able to remain true to the way that you play, mm-hmm. that even if everyone else at your table is, is playing some kind of bonkers way right. and they're all just you know limping or, or you know or whatever. But especially um, if you think you have a skill edge. Yeah, yeah. Why play? Let's, yeah. The the one out of ten. Let's yeah. Roll the dice sort of thing. Yeah, and on the other end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. I think often what happens in smaller buying tournaments is you get a lot of really crazy plays. You get a lot of overly aggressive play right like you know shoving 100x you know big blind stacks or whatever um i think also or someone opens the 3x and you get uh you know a billion calls or whatever everyone's just 
right. can't get their chips in faster. You know, I see that too all the oh, time. Yeah. And also, and so it's it's easy to fall into that trap too. It's like, oh, everyone else is playing this garbage. I'm gonna play this garbage too. I'm gonna, you know, well, because you think, oh, if I hit two pair, I'm gonna exactly. Clean up. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and so still, you gotta remain true to mm-hmm. the way that you play, and that might mean. You know, tightening your range a little bit in right. in that type of a situation. If you're deciding whether or not to open, you know, eight nine suited or whatever, and you know the opponent to your left is raising a hundred percent of the time, you have to ask yourself, okay, is that really, hand worth a six? Yeah, do I really want to get into this situation? Right. So I think just uh, you know, avoiding avoiding the common mistakes that everyone else is doing at your table and just not not falling into what everyone is mm-hmm. doing because the way that you're going to be able to set yourself apart is is not by limping and just you know following the action it's it's mm-hmm. by setting your own action and being the aggressor you know and and just being able to set the precedent that like no I'm not going to do what you guys do I'm sorry but mm-hmm. this is the way I play um, and so, yeah, that, those are two big things I think um, I see all the time is, you know, way, way too much, way yeah. too much limping. Please, please don't, don't do that. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, but, I think, yeah, I mean, it's one way to play it, and that's the beauty yeah. of poker is you can play however you want. Yeah. But I, I do think ultimately what it, the way I think about that is playing that sort of game um, transitions it, maybe you said this, you know, we don't know what the split is, how much of the game is skill, how much of it's luck. Yeah. But let's say it's 70% skill, 30% luck, just for the sake of argument. When you play that way, it moves it to the 50-50 or, or I guess the other, I mean, all the way down to like 100% luck. If you yeah. went to the extremes that every hand we just all call and we just play Yahtzee and see what yeah. happens. Now, if you think you have an edge, yeah. you've completely lost it. You might as well, if, you, if you're going to play complete luck, you might as well just shove every hand. Right. I mean, I'd rather do that. Yeah. Then limp every hand and hope yeah. to hit. You know. So exactly. And uh, one one other quick thing I wanted to mention is that um, another big mistake that I that I see and and I fall into this too is is not thinking through what you're gonna do when you get into a hand. I, I think that's incredibly important and undervalued. Um, like uh, you know, I see so many situations where someone. Let's say it's like a you know a button raise versus big blind. The big blind defends, and the big blind checks, and the button bets and defends again. And then it's like, at some point in the hand, the button kind of loses focus, and he clearly seems uncertain of what he's doing anymore. Mm-hmm. So like, and it's important for a couple of reasons to plan out what you're doing one reason is that um you know if you don't make a plan or if you don't kind of think through your actions before you do them like if i follow through like if i continuation bet the flop what am i going to be doing on the turn and you know what cards that are going to come are going to change what i do what if i get raised yeah because the the thing that happens is if you don't um have a plan and you you end up becoming a little unsure of what you're doing, a good opponent will pick up on that mm-hmm. and will pounce on that. So if you if you end up stutter-stepping or whatever and you kind of like give off, and that's, that's how a lot of information can be given is when you're unprepared and, mm-hmm. you're not, and you're not focused and you're kind of like dilly-dallying through a hand and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna decide about, you know, f- for myself, I end up pouncing, I find that like, right. 
my a lot of my aggression comes when I sense that an opponent of mine is is just kind of like doesn't have a solid idea of what mm-hmm. he's doing in the hand. And chances are aggression is gonna end up ultimately right. push him out of that hand. You know, if you can think through a spot where, okay, if I, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of a of a um, real quick of a hand I played. Um, <laughs> someone, if if this person listens to this, he'll know this hand. But um, anyway, I had I I opened. Um, in middle position with queens and the guy to my direct left re-raised me this is pre-flop and uh and so just to, i opened uh 2.5x he raised me to like 7.5x i think it was and it folded back around to me and i called and the flop was jack jack nine i believe yes and uh i checked he bet and uh, bet pretty big, and I'm like, you know, we'll do that with this, the jack. this is getting dicey. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got to have kings, right? Okay. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to think of through through the hand, through the right. spot, yep. where I think he's at. This is early, pretty ante tournament, so it's like early in the tournament. Generally, when people are getting this involved in a hand, they had they have the goods. Mm-hmm. So pre flop, I'm even thinking, you know, I, I think some people. We'll throw in like a, a four bet there with queens. For me, it's like, well, what hands is he going to be three betting me with this big? This uh, he's in middle position, so I'm like, okay. And so my thinking starts there. It's like, what what kind of what's his hand range here when he re raises me pre flop this big? It's like this early in the tournament, he's got to have a monster. You know, maybe ace king, maybe jacks, but you know, aces and kings definitely are very possible. Um, so that's I'm thinking that right away. So when the flop comes, Jack Jack Nine, and I check, I'm not comfortable. I'm not happy with mm-hmm. my hand. I have queens. I have an overpair to the board, but I'm not happy with my hand just because of how the action has been so far. Um, he's shown that he's very, you know, he he likes his hand, and and his bet he bet the flop. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a good size bet. I'd probably say like half, two thirds pot or something like that. Um, and at that point. I couldn't, you know, I tell myself, well, I don't love my hand, but I can't fold yet. Um, you know, he, he could still have ace-king and just be continuing here, whatever. Um, so I called, and the turn was, um, I think it was not, it, it wasn't, uh, let's see, yeah. It, I don't remember what the turn was, but it's some kind of low card. Um, and at this point, I'm thinking... I'm so invested into this pot um, that either on this turn, so I, I think I had um, we were we were 20k starting stacks, and I had um, I had started the hand with roughly 15k, and um, and I think by the time the turn came, I had like um, eight or nine k left or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, pretty dicey, sure. but still early in the tournament, I had plenty of chips. Um, anyway, uh, I checked to him on the turn. He bet again, like, uh, I'd say like a quarter of my stack or something. So at this point, I'm thinking, okay, well, chances are if I call here, I'm going to be facing another, an, a river bet. Right. Um, so I, I can fold. But then sometimes, like when I'm thinking like this, I just kind of get like a, 
another thought that enters my brain, like maybe I could do this and maybe mm-hmm. this would work. Right. So, the, so the thought came in, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could raise here. And uh, so I end up um, shipping it all in on the turn. I check, I check shoved mm-hmm. um, with queens, even though I was not happy with my hand. I right. thought he could definitely have aces or kings, but um, you know, it's just thinking, thinking through that spot as it's going through. I think allowed me to make that type of a mm-hmm. move. Um, whereas if I wasn't really thinking, I'd either just check call the turn or check fold. You know, just kind of like. I'm giving up on the hand in a sense um, by just kind of like letting him dictate what right. I'm going to do. Yeah. Whether like... If you're going to call the river if it's a low card anyway. Yeah. So yeah. so I end up check shoving okay. and uh, and he immediately is like, oh, you have He didn't like, snap you so you felt good about that. He didn't snap call me, <laughs> but I didn't feel... I still didn't sure, feel good. Sure. Because I really thought that... And I'm really curious if he had aces or kings, what he would have actually done here. Right. But um, he he ended up folding and he and he told me later that he had queens. Um, so wow. he told me he had the same okay. hand. And I'm like, okay. wow, that's actually really fascinating. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, I never told him I had queens. So if he's listening to this, then he knows now that I, I, we had the same hand. So you say. Uh, if, if he had yeah, well, yeah. The whole story's made up. I'm under oath here. You, I, you had like, king queen, we know. <laughs> no, that was actually a really fascinating yeah. hand where, like, um, you know, it just goes to show that aggression, you know, yeah, I, granted, he could have had aces, sure. he could have had pocket jacks or pocket nines, and I could, he snapped me off right. and I just bust, but, like, that's, that's an example of, you know, thinking through the hand and taking aggression into your own hand and yeah. using it for, for your favor. And, to you know, if there's a way to win the hand, um, you know, aggression is usually the way. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if you're not, um, if you don't have the stone cold nuts and, you know, you're kind of like navigating through a dicey spot, right. um, finding ways to be aggressive, um, I think tends to work out a, a decent percentage of the yeah. time, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one that's thing, good. you know, that's a final bit of information. Just just play or play around with aggression levels. I think um, you'll, I mean, obviously you'll, you'll bust out of tournaments in spots where you otherwise mm-hmm. wouldn't have, but you'll also accumulate chips in spots right. that you never thought possible. So, um, and that also, I think, really grows your game as far as um, realizing your capabilities and realizing... Mm-hmm you know, what things you can actually do with chips because you can be very creative, you can you can put on creative bluffs, you can hero call yeah. off stacks, you can do a lot of things um, that if you don't if you don't allow yourself to take shots and like right. step out of your comfort zone, you're never gonna reach those heights that other players are at. So like you said there's there's a downside to aggression, but the things that I've even noticed is I've become more aggressive you know, maybe to a fault too, but over the over the years is you win pots that you shouldn't win because people will literally tell you, I'm afraid of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're afraid to stay in pot because they're afraid you're going to raise them out of the big blind or whatever. Yeah. So they just give you walk and yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. And then I mean, the biggest thing is what you when you get paid off when you have a big hand. Yeah. Because of that image, as people start thinking right. of you as an aggressive player. Right. Yeah, they can call you down and then you can make mistakes. Right. But boy, you win some big pots. Yeah. That... Nobody in their right mind should be calling you, yeah. but they do because they know you're aggressive. So yeah. there's some other advantages in addition to, you know, picking up some of those pots and fold equity. And yeah, for sure. Them. And I think like uh, 
being, being allowing yourself to look silly at the poker sure. table every once in a while is a, is a oh, good yeah. is a good philosophy. I've 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 made some silly moves and some silly yeah. like uh, calls that to other people make me look like a maniac and mm-hmm. like a uh, terrible player. But for me, it's like okay, that didn't work. How can I change that in the future? Should I change that? Would it have worked in a different situation? Right. You know, and being able to analyze your play afterwards is important too instead of right. just kind of like you'd be like oh okay well i didn't win this one i'll win the next one move on i think going back and reflecting on your play is really important yeah. and reaching out to people that are better than you is also you know i've done that many times in, in the past especially right when i moved here you know mm-hmm. i was busting out of tournaments and i would reach out to someone um Often people that I had didn't even know, I'm like, I'd message them right. like, hey, you know, I don't really know you, but you're, you know, you're a good player. Would you, would you give me my, and more often than not, they'd be like, yeah, yeah sure. What, what's up? And, you know, I just, I've been really grateful for that too. I, I think the, the poker community is, is amazing. And I think there's a lot of really awesome people that yeah. I've been blessed to get to know a little bit and, and to play with and have fun with. And, and I think you'll find that, um, you know, even in bigger buying tournaments, you know, it it's not like everyone's out to out for blood and everyone hates you. It's like right. there are like I said before, there are, there people. are people that yeah. that do that. Um, but for the most part yeah. that's kind of shunned in the in the community and, and most people, even at bigger buy in right. tournaments, um, cool. you know, try yeah. to you know, try to enjoy themselves and try to, you know, be friendly to to people at your table and just have a good time, you know. Yeah. Um, but for sure. Yeah. Well, I think we should probably wrap it up. Sounds Any, good. Uh, but man, thanks for your time. And this oh is yeah. Part of you know the, the cool part about this podcast is I, I basically know nothing, but I get a chance to talk to people who yeah. know something. So I'm secretly working <laughs> on my game. But like you mentioned, the poker community in Minnesota is, is yeah. fantastic. Oh, it's wonderful. There's so many great great yeah. people out there. So you're yourself included. So thanks for Thank you. taking the time. But any any final words of wisdom? Ah, uh, final words of wisdom. I don't know if I'm the guy for that. But, or maybe uh, your first word of wisdom. We've been waiting. <laughs> would you uh, finally give us some wisdom, man? I, I, I would say uh, go play the All in for Africa event oh, on nice. Saturday. I'll be there. Um, We're releasing this on probably the Friday night before, oh, awesome. maybe the Saturday morning. Awesome. So good timing. Wonderful. Yeah, I'll have uh, I'm putting a hundred dollar bonnie on myself. So come get it. Come I'm and get have it. a lot of fun. Uh, fair warning, though, I run pretty well in the Saturday morning tournaments at, at Canterbury. So. Um, uh, you might just want to fold to me every time. That's cool too. <laughs> Consider uh, yourself warned. <laughs> but but no, I mean, I, I in reality, I think uh, you know, have fun at the table. You know, take shots. If if the shot you take uh, throws, it feels like you got hit in the stomach when you bust. You know, maybe you played a little bit too high. You know, just kind of adjust. Uh, but don't be afraid to to take a shot, especially you know win a satellite or something. You're like, yeah, you know that's part of the thrill of poker too, is just being able to have that opportunity to win a bunch of money too and uh, enjoy the process and, and learn and just you know more importantly, I think the biggest thing is just to in, enjoy yourself. You know, poker at the end of the day, yeah, you make money, but it's also a, a game and it's it's a game of thinking and you know there's a lot involved in it that I have a lot of fun with and that's. You know, that's the main reason I play is I really enjoy mm-hmm. it. You know, I have a lot of fun with it. So It's good stuff. Now, I just, uh, I know we got to let everybody go, but I just put this together. So do you know the musical Hamilton? Uh, you, you know, I... Do you know of it? I, I know of it, yes. Okay, have you, have you listened to the music? I have not. Okay, so, well, obviously your last name is Hamilton. Yes, right. And I just, just dawned on me, one of the, one of the great songs 
from that musical is I'm not throwing away my shot. And <laughs> nice, you're talking about taking nice, shots, so yeah, maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll end the, uh, the oh, podcast yeah, a little uh, not throwing away my that shot. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so there you go. Well, thanks for your time, man. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Don't be shocked when your history book mentions me. I will lay down my life if it sets us free. Eventually, you'll see my ascendancy, and I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. And you're just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. Well, that's it. We'll catch you next time on the Rec Poker Podcast.